comes jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 180, Lifetime Achievement Award. Saturday, September 23rd, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yin Hu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. Each week, I post show notes, photographs, and links to the things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments. The back porch, the front porch, and so forth. My recent pattern design, Concordia, is now available for purchase on Ravelry. It is also on display as a booth sample in the Foster Sheep Farm Yarn Shop booth at the... Adirondack Wool and Arts Festival in Washington County, New York, this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, the 23rd and 24th of September. So Carol will have her beautiful Concordia yarn for sale, as well as patterns at a special discounted rate. And she will also have her yarn and Concordia on display at the Rhinebeck Festival coming up in October. Thank you all of you for your praise and your interest in the pattern. It is a challenge and a delight to hone my skills working on a bit of design and to try new challenges each time. And certainly this pattern for a capelet incorporates some things that I have learned over my seven or so years of knitting and just a few of pattern design. Thank you. Thank you for your comments and your praise about the pattern and of course your purchases, which help to fund the podcast costs that I incur as I put out episodes several times a month. On the back porch this week is a pair of socks knit in the very autumnal s'mores swirl colorway from Fiber Nymph Dye Works. I cast these on as soon as the yarn arrived because I was really taken by this self-striping sock yarn from Lisa. And for this pattern, I just tried some new techniques, but mostly I stuck with some sock knitting techniques that I have been cultivating over my past year or so of a little bit more serious sock knitting. And that is casting on with a tubular cast on for a cuff down sock. I knit about 
20 rows or so of one by one rib. And then I just knit the leg in stockinette. I use a traditional heel flap and heel turn. And for the gusset, this time I kind of riffed off the bottom of the foot gusset. It's sometimes known as a riverbed gusset. And the original pattern directions I took from Emily Estrada's Collie Wobbles socks. Except this time my heel flap was about six or so rows longer than what was called for in the pattern. I went with a little bit of a longer, deeper heel flap. And so when I decreased all of the stitches on the bottom of the foot, I still had some extra stitches because my heel flap was so long. And so that's what allows me to create a double gusset because I just move my stitch markers and then I do another three sets of decreases to further pull in the gusset on the bottom of the sock. Then immediately after finishing up the gusset, I switch to a one-by-one rib on the arch of the foot and then just stockinette on the rest of the foot. And I tried a new toe closure, or I guess a variation of a new-to-me toe closure. This is called the French toe. You begin a French toe a little bit later in your knitting than you would for a more traditional toe because you decrease at three different points. And so the rate of decrease is quite a bit faster. I learned this as I had to rip out and re-knit because I I kept making my sock too short. And so you decrease every other round, you decrease at three different points. So that's a decrease rate of six stitches every other round. And the French toe decrease pattern calls for you to just pull your yarn through all of the stitches, like cinch it up when you're at 12% of your original stitch count cast on. So I tried that and I didn't care for it. So I just decreased until I had 14 stitches left on my needles, seven on a front needle and seven on a back needle. And then I used a Kitchener stitch to just close that last portion of the toe. This results in a more rounded toe. I tend not to care for the wedge type of toe, but maybe I could play around a little bit with my rate of decreases on that toe to see if I could get it to be a bit more rounded. But I thought I would experiment with this new French toe, and I like the way it looks. I like the way I was able to keep all of my stripes in sequence, so these are matching self-striping socks. That was kind of a fun challenge as well, to wind my yarn and start at the exact same place in the stripe sequence so that I could get a pair of matching socks. I'm pretty happy with these socks. They're great fall socks. And this means that now, in terms of my sock knitting, I'm continuing with the Vanilla is the New Black socks that I have on the needles. I just started 
the really cool diamond-shaped heel pattern on one of the socks. I'm knitting these with Socks That Rock yarn. It's 100% BFL, and the colorway is Total Eclipse of the Sun. So that's a lot of fun to knit. I'm using my Blackthorn needles to knit those concurrently. And I have one where I'm still working on the leg in stockinette and another when I'm starting the heel so that I have options depending on my level of ability to concentrate, I suppose, that I could work on one or the other. And of course, next I will be casting on the Clark Socks by Jacqueline Salem in some really cool um, Miss Babs yarn that was a gift from Jacqueline when I saw her at the Knit Local Retreat in the spring. The majority of my knitting time now will be devoted to completing the fleece-wise version of the Bressy dress by Goodwin Johnston. This is my second time knitting the dress, and this time it will be knit entirely in Shetland wool. Most of the dress is a mill-spun yarn that comes from Battenkill Fiber Mill. It's a beautiful, heathery, fawn-colored Shetland yarn, two-ply, sport weight. It's such a delight to knit with. It's very sturdy and warm, but it's wonderfully soft as well. And then all of the color work on this dress has been um, processed and hand-spun and botanically dyed by me all from Eloise's fleece, my quarter of Eloise's fleece purchased at Rhinebeck last year. I had a lot of fun kind of fitting um, a mushroom pattern from the mushroom Kelly Muffs, also in the Fair Isle style book. I adapted that pattern for the yoke of the dress, and now I have completed both cap sleeves and bound them off, which I like to do before finishing the dress because it's just a lot less turning that whole garment around as I knit. So the sleeves are done. So far, all of the ends are woven in, and I'm at the waist of the dress and working my way down. I need to think about the circumference of the skirt at the bottom to figure out if I have enough yarn to do what I'd like to do in terms of repeating that mushroom design along the hem of the dress. I've also incorporated uh, the ribbed panel. It's kind of a wide ribbed panel in the back of the Ujo dress. I have put that into this Bressy dress as well, seeing if I can sort of create a bit of an illusion of a pulled in waist for the body of the dress and then when I stopped doing that ribbing there was a little extra fabric that kind of helps to create that a-line for the skirt. What I need to do before I knit too much further is to add another set of circulars or add some cords to my circular needles and just try it on once again to make sure that I have the fit correct and to know when I should start 
maybe a different rate of increase for the A-line skirt of the dress. All of this knitting has not prevented me from dreaming about what I will be knitting with the new brushwork yarn from Blacker Yarns. I plan to make a purchase this week from the Woolly Thistle when the yarn becomes available. And in order to determine what I will need, I've just been looking through my queue and thinking about some things that would work well with this beautiful plush blend of yarn from Blacker. I think, I'm pretty certain, that I've settled on a hat and mitts set with some color work. Both patterns are by Caitlin Hunter, and I really like the Ulu mitts and the cardamom coffee hat. They require three colors, and of course I love both of the beautiful purples, and then that green-leaning yellow or yellow-leaning green. I suppose it depends on how you look at it. That color, I think, is a great contrast to those two. So I will be placing an order later this week. What will you be knitting with brushwork? I'd love to know. And so forth. I have work to take advantage of a short work week and a long weekend to make progress on two different dresses. The first is the sleeved version of the Dahlia dress by Colette Patterns, and the second is one that was not even begun uh, during my last recording, and that is a version of the kimono dress with an obi sash by Heather Ross, and it's from her book of weekend sewing patterns. The Dahlia dress has been in progress for quite a while because I started both the, the strappy and the version with sleeves at the same time. And after completing the strappy version, I concluded that I could probably go down a dress size for the other version of the dress. I also had the challenge of attempting to match a patterned fabric for the bodice and the waistband of the dress. I had some beautiful, absolutely beautiful Rifle Paper Company fabric, and it's a, a quite a busy design. Nevertheless, it is it was important to me to match the patterning as best I could between the bodice and the waistline. At the same time, I was removing some of the width of these pattern pieces to cut them down a little bit and achieve a better fit. And boy, did I sweat it. It took a lot of adjusting to get everything to line up and another thing that I was working on that didn't go so well in the first version of the dress is getting all of the pattern pieces to align on the left-hand side of the dress for the zip. I find it's also difficult to determine the fit of the dress when you have the whole left side hanging open and it's really difficult to try it on 
and see how everything will come together. This is where an assistant would definitely come in handy. But I was just operating on my previous experience with the first version of the dress. And I achieved a pretty decent fit around the waistline and the bust and getting the, the pattern fabric to match up. Very, very pleased. I think that's the most difficult thing I've accomplished in my sewing thus far. One thing that was a little bit odd about the fit of the Dahlia dress was it just seemed like it was way too wide and too open along the neckline. I thought the dress would be quite demure, but the neckline plunges a little bit and it seemed like there was a extra fabric in the shoulders. And so I used a technique that I used quite frequently on the Dahlia dress, which is to sew two lines of, of wide stitching close together and then create shirring. There is no shirring called for in the shoulder of the dress. However, <laughs> I did add a bit of shirring to the shoulders of the dress. Thinking about it now, maybe I should have put it along the back, but I didn't really want any puckering back there. So I added just just a bit. It's subtle, but it pulls the neckline of the dress together um, in a way that makes it feel like it's going to fit on my shoulders and it's not going to slip or reveal a bra strap. This dress is intended for work, and I really don't want to be fussing with it. So in the end, I think I achieved something that I will be happy to wear and which will get a lot of use at work. I have extremely wide shoulders for my size, and I'm concerned that the fit of this dress would be really a challenge for someone with narrow shoulders or someone with a smaller size because I fill it out quite a bit and still I had trouble with it gaping. I also used a very fine or thin bias tape to create the neckline of the dress. That was a challenge, but I'm glad that I took on that challenge because I didn't like the way the bias half-inch double-fold bias tape would be so visible at the neckline. So I think I think it's quarter-inch double-fold bias tape that I used. And it was a bit fiddly to put on, but I like the end result. You really can't see it that much, and you can focus on this gorgeous patterning on the dress. When I visited Mary Beth this summer, we paid a visit to Firecracker, uh, a really fun and vibrant fabric and sewing shop in Pittsburgh. And among other things, I picked up several yards of some beautiful Merchant and Mills uh, indigo hopscotch fabric. It's a cotton, a very lightweight cotton fabric that has been printed using traditional hand block and dye methods. I will put a link to this fabric in my show notes. Each yard or so, I guess it's less than a yard, 
is printed with a different version of the design. It's beautiful, but once I got it home, I was wondering what I could make with this fabric that wouldn't be too busy, that would really bring out the most in in the fabric patterning. And I just couldn't bring myself to cut it. I just kept thinking about different patterns and what might work. And finally, I had the inspiration. I don't know why it popped into my mind, but I thought about one of the very first things that I sewed when I received my sewing machine three years ago. I got my sewing machine and I also received a copy of Weekend Sewing by Heather Ross and I tried a few of the patterns in there. One of them was the kimono dress and obi sash. I made it. I didn't pay attention to the fact that fabric with drape was called for. And so I used a kind of like a quilting cotton. And it it was not really very wearable. So I pulled that dress out and looked at my sewing. Oh my God, what a mess. <laughs> I made an absolute mess of that dress and it was kind of ill-fitting. I don't know if I chose the wrong size or the, the pattern just, it's not a very fitted pattern. I did all kinds of things that weren't even specified by the pattern. I don't know why I was doing that. And I end up pulling the back neck in. The hemline is dreadful. So I started turning that dress inside out and thinking about how I would do it differently if I were to use this hopscotch fabric to make the kimono dress. Before I thought about it too much, I worked on the pattern placement so I could utilize all four of the different indigo prints somewhere on the dress and I cut it and I worked on the directions for sewing it and improved it with skills that I've acquired in the three years that I've been sewing. Um, For one, I reduced the size of the back because there was way too much fabric in the back of the dress. For another, I used bias tape along the back and neckline instead of just folding twice and sewing because I think that's a much nicer finish. And then I used the elastic thread that was called for instead of a piece of elastic. And I also used some shirring because after I had reduced the width of the back, the back skirt panel did not align with the back of the dress. So I just used some extra shirring back there and I achieved a much better fit. There's a lot going on with the patterning of this dress. I like it, but I'll be interested to see what kind of comments I get when I wear it. It's really very different from anything else I've worn and from anything I've seen that's commercially available. Since I was sewing a Heather Ross design, I utilized some samples of Heather Ross fabric from her sleeping porch line. I had, I guess they're not, 
I don't, I'm not sure what the size of the cut is, but she was giving away samples last year when I saw her at Rhinebeck and I purchased her book as a gift. And so I had some samples of this fabric and I used some of them for the OB sash and also for the bias tape for the dress. That also is up to the point of creating the hemline. And since we seem to have summer in September this year, hopefully it will stay warm enough for me to get a little bit of wear out of this dress before the season gets cold. It's a very, very lightweight cotton fabric, but the fact that it's such a dark color indigo will maybe make it appropriate into the fall. I'm not sure. But I was really pleased to be able to find a use for this fabric that I loved so much. And then while I was going through my fabric, first of all, I was wishing that I were organizing my fabric because Allison told me that she rolled all of her fabric, tied it up with a description of what the fabric was and how many yards there were. Wouldn't that be smart? Oh, I wish I had little fairies to come over and organize my fabric, but instead of organizing it, I was just pulling it all out and making a complete mess in my office, and I discovered a piece of katagami fabric. I bought this at Loom Exquisite Textiles in Pittsburgh last summer, and I had been turning over in my mind what I could make with that. Katagami is just this exquisite, usually indigo-dyed fabric, and the patterning is made from paper-cut stencils. This fabric, I hadn't really thought about how crucial it was that this fabric is in a panel, I guess it's about a foot wide, with selvages on both edges. So you wouldn't really want to cut it. I had been thinking about if I should incorporate that into the OB sash. Instead, I decided to use a good portion of it and make a Mobius scarf. All I needed to do was one flat felled seam. To close it up, I put in one twist and this beautiful indigo with a white floral pattern I think will be gorgeous as yet another, it's yet another pattern element to an outfit with this kimono dress. But the blues and the whites work together and the neckline of the kimono dress is a little bit deep. So I think that would be like a good cover up and maybe take this outfit into the fall season a little bit. So it was a great two days of fooling around with dress patterns and fabric that I had wanted to use and being a little bit creative and using some of the skills I've acquired to work on sewing. Today, I woke up to find that Sonia Phillip has an essay about uniform in a handmade wardrobe on the Mason Dixon blog. I will link to it in the show notes. She has some really fine things to say about how she came to an understanding of 
how a uniform could work for her and how she incorporated some very simple designs in a lot of different fabrics to create lots of options for herself, but options that did not cause anxiety when it was time to select an outfit for the day, but it was more like a fun range of possibilities. So I'll link to that in the show notes and I hope you enjoy it. One last thing I'll mention before signing off today is that the hashtag embroider more stitch along will begin on October 1st. To help get you started, I've begun a thread on the Yarns at Yin Hu Ravelry group and I've posted some book covers of books having to do with stitching and hand embroidery. All sorts of hand stitching are invited to this stitch along and some Yarns at Yin Hu listeners are posting their ideas for books as well. There's some great new titles. So check it out and make some plans for what you will stitch during the Embroider More Stitch Along. This stitch along has nothing to do with size or intensity or difficulty of the project. It could be the smallest amount of stitching and that will be great for stitching along. Have fun researching your ideas and I look forward to seeing your stitches in October. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine nature thing. Leaves lay down like a lady waiting for a naked man. River bends like an elbow, turning stones to sand. It's a It's a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing.
for listening. Music for this episode is so sweet. Music and lyrics by Samuel St. Thomas, performed by Bovine Social Club. Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week. <laughs>